What's up, Lions of Liberty fans? You can now support this show on Patreon and get exclusive access to bonus audio and video content, including Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, bonus segments with guests, and so much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Yo, what's shaking in your neck of the woods, libertarians? Yes, this is Electric Liberty Land. Welcome, welcome. I am Brian McWilliams, and this is episode number 111 of this Fantastic program, which you're tuning into with your ear holes. And uh, that, of course, means you could go to lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL111 in order to get the show notes for this episode, which are going to be fairly truncated. Um, I have been out of town and uh, I was up in the Pocono Mountains, the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania. Some of you probably are familiar with that spot nestled between New York, Jersey, and, uh, and PA there and is a destination for the tri-state area if you want to go skiing. I did not go skiing. I actually went just to uh, drink a lot of booze with a bunch of uh, college buddies, my non-Lions of Liberty college buddies, actually. Although a lot of them are still very sympathetic to the libertarian perspectives, which, of course, is very refreshing. And my one buddy uh, currently lives in Seattle, so he's truly in the pits of hell, the progressive pits of soggy, soggy hell. So anyway, hanging out with them, drinking playing some old school video games uh, and uh, cards, etc. Just kind of catching up, which was great. Although it was about 18 degrees, dry as a bone. And of course, you're heating the house. So it's hot and dry then freezing and dry. And uh, as such, and also, come, of course, combined with the flying, uh, which dries you out quite a bit. I have what basically feels like a sharp spike sticking into my vocal cords on my left hand side. So this is going to be a shorter episode. The good news is that because the new green deal has finally been revealed, now the price tag on the new green deal has not been revealed, mind you, although certain portions of it have, like, for example, the infrastructure portion of rebuilding and retrofitting every single house and building in America will only cost $4.6 trillion. So we've got that number. Thank God we've got that sweet piece of data to keep us from losing our minds I mean, they gave us a little nugget of information to, to make sure that they, uh, like they're breadcrumbing us along into this forest, this deep, dark forest where we're sure to be molested by all sorts of progressive types. It's kind of like Hansel and Gretel going into the woods. A- AOC is, in fact, the witch in her candy castle, which she has built. And we're all invited in to take a big bite of this candy. Never mind. It's going to give us all horrible cavities. There's not enough candy to go around. And the house will, of course, collapse in on itself. And then we'll just have bears coming over and pissing all over the place. And who wants bears? And also, that's how you get ants. Anyway, long story short, (laughs) this has given me opportunity to bring back one of my favorite segments since I have a very short shelf life tonight uh, before my vocal cords snap. And uh, that's going to give me the opportunity to bring back one of my favorite types of segments where I do a, more of a deep dive into one topic. That will be the new green deal. And I'm going to take it from the perspective of how to, how to provide a, those simplified argument, taking your progressive friends on 
and basically providing them with viewpoints where you say, okay, we're not going to get deep into libertarian thought here. We're not going to go deep down economic theory pathways. We're just going to talk about top line, logical or emotional hooks in which you can say, okay, this is why you're wrong. Now, before I get into that segment, though, I do want to tease another bonus content piece of uh, <laughs> piece of content legislation that I'm passing through the Senate here at Lions of Liberty. But no, another piece of bonus uh, content, which is a show that I have been developing in my own brain, and I put together the promo for it, and I'll be rolling this out to our Patreon crew very soon, our Lions Pride members. But I'll give you a little tease of it, just the intro bonus, and uh, forthcoming, there will be episodes. Oh, yes, there will be episodes. Deep in their liberty lair, two heroes maintain a vigil over Earth. Starkly standing in opposition of For the Greater Gooders, Worry Wars, Peacekeepers, and Socialists, and also Vegans, they are Do Nothing Man and his trusty sidekick, Logic Lad. Do Nothing Man, a stay! I'm with you, DNM. Let's just chill in tonight. Maybe play a board game or something. Either way, we probably shouldn't get involved and make things worse, right? You couldn't be more right, chum. When people use force to make people think like they do, it never works out. <laughs> yes, he's a new type of hero to battle the villains of do-goodery, busybodiness, and can't leave well enough fucking alone. Do nothing, man. Tune in. Or not, he doesn't care. And that's his power. Yeah, do nothing, man. He is going to be the libertarian superhero we need. Not to take away, of course, from the Liberty Force. A little shout out to my boy Johnny uh, Adams over there at Blastoff and the comic book that he created with uh, Ford by Tom Woods. They even did a little audio play, which they use. You know, they tap Jason Stapleton for a voice. And I'm sitting here, a professionally trained actor, I'll have you know, having done several years actual acting training back before I realized that that's a career for suckers and idiots, but <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the audio play he did was pretty sweet. Anyway, it's going to be nothing compared to do nothing man and logic lad. And you can join our pride. As you heard at the top of the show, just go to lionsofliberty.com forward slash support, or you can go to patreon.com forward slash lions of Liberty and join up for uh, as little as five bucks a month. Bingo. Okay, without further ado, let's get into the meat of this show. The meat that we will no longer be able to have if the new Green Deal passes. And uh, let me introduce this segment. For those of you who are not familiar with it, this is Bar Talk, wherein I do give you the ammo to chat with your idiot friends at the bar. Even if you're drunk, these arguments should still hold water. And if you're curious, I've done these for neutrality in the past. I also did one of these for the economic cr uh, crash and Dodd-Frank. So you can find those. I'll put those in the show notes, too. Hopefully I remember. <laughs> so let's get into it. Cliff, explanation, please. Now, how do you know he has one? Five bucks says he does, ten says it's a doozy. Maybe it's a beer talking, Mark, but you got a butt that won't quit. They got these big, chewy pretzels here that are all you beer. No, five dollars? Get out of here. Yeah, so maybe the best intro I've ever put together for anything. Not going to lie. Of course, big thanks goes to the Simpsons. Cheers. 
and Henry Mancini for making that all possible. Now, first things first, before I get into the counter arguments, I want to go in through just kind of like the top 10 things. And this is, I'm pulling these from Americans for Tax Reform's website because I have not read the entire new new uh, Green Deal and I don't intend to. However, they encapsulate here what they're trying to accomplish and just how absurd the whole thing is. So this is by Michael Pallix, and uh, I will link to that, of course, as well. But he puts down the top 10 things. Number one, rebuild every single building in the United States. This is not hyperbole. This is not exaggeration. This is what it says. Quote, upgrade or replace every building in U.S. for state-of-the-art energy efficiency. Number two, end all traditional forms of energy. That includes getting rid of all nuclear, getting rid of uh, carbon-dependent energy sources, coal, getting rid of a lot of natural gas. So they're trying to go net zero greenhouse gas emissions. And this is all within 10 years, mind you. This is all within 10 years, mind you. These people want this done. Ban nuclear energy within 10 years if possible. This is what the quote says from the bill. It's unclear if we will be able to decommission every nuclear plant within 10 years, but the plan is to transition off of nuclear and all fossil fuels as soon as possible. Next one, build trains across oceans and end all air travel. Build out high-speed rail at a scale where air travel stops becoming necessary, is what the bill says. (laughs) Good luck with that. Next, don't invest in new technology of carbon capture. Instead, just plant trees. And it says, we believe the right to capture carbon is to plant trees. The right way to capture carbon, pardon me, is to plant trees and restore our natural ecosystems. CCUS technology to date is not proven effective. So despite the fact that Probably in the future, the best way would be to actually use carbon capture technology. And that's, what, in truth, my long-term vision for, let's say, global warming becomes an actual problem where people are being affected with it directly. Not not a hypothetical, the, the oceans are going to overtake the land in five years like Al Gore and the rest of the nuts are promising. But an actual issue where in a, the, uh, the public comes together, we have actual proof that this is happening. And we say, okay, what are we going to do to tackle it? Well, of course the free market would come up with a way to do this, in which case scientific and engineering communities would get together, find a way to increase the carbon capture, and by virtue of that, solve the problem. So <laughs> these people have no interest in that, despite it being you know, probably a more logical thing to do rather than say to go out and plant thousands upon thousands of trees everywhere, uh, which would have untold consequences as far as just the economic costs of these type of things, plus, as I'll get into a little bit later, land confiscation. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Moving on. Mandate all new jobs be unionized. All GND jobs are union jobs that pay prevailing wages and hire local. I'm not going to go into the unionized thing when we get into these big arguments, so I'm just going to tackle this one here early before I get into the bar talk. Okay, you're saying pay, pay prevailing wages. Now, number one, if you're paying a prevailing wage, you have to look at what? The industry as a whole. And that would, now that's going to change according to locality. So you can't just say it's going to pay a prevailing wage when when the government's involved and you're dealing with unions, most likely you're not going to be actually paying a prevailing wage. What you're actually going to be paying is a hyperinflated wage because you're arguing and you're dealing with union cronies who are going to drive the prices up and you're going to have lobbyists involved and you're going to have all sorts of inner dealing going on. Number two, 
hire local. Okay, so you say hire local. However, if you're doing these massive infrastructure projects, you're not going to be able to hire local. There aren't green energy specialists sitting around in Boise, Idaho, that are going to be able to fill these positions. There aren't retrofitting specialists in green technology that are going to be available on a local level. So you can't hire local. If you're looking to do all these insane projects, these massive, you know, high cost, high level of skill or a skill maybe beyond even the point where we could even realize what it would take to do it. Like, for example, eliminating air travel by putting high speed rails everywhere and putting I don't even know how you do it across the oceans, like the Americans for Tax Reform puts out, creating some sort of hyper channel like the British have. You can't hire local to do these things. You need to have specialists that fly all over the country. And there's no way in hell that it's going to be resources to do that. So you're going to end up pulling in people from foreign, foreign nations that are able to service this, pulling in people from all corners of the globe for a, a project of this scope. So to say hire local is just idiotic, and to say you're going to pay them a prevailing wage is double idiotic, because then you're simply negotiating against yourself when you're talking to the unions. Dumb. Okay, next. Might include a carbon tax. We're not ruling a carbon tax out, but a carbon tax would be a tiny part of a Green New Deal. Okay. And cap and trade may be a tiny part of the New Green Deal plan. And then how much will it cost? No estimates. As I said, there are no estimates of what the total cost would be yet. But Ocasio-Cortez says, even if every billionaire and company came together and were willing to pour all the resources at their disposal into this investment, the aggregate value of the investments they could make would not be sufficient. Gee, you think, you think AOC, you think that all the billionaires and all these companies, you think if we all piled together, we couldn't still put together enough resources for this insane plan? Which, how many Democratic frontrunners for president have supported? Oh, that's right, all of them. Despite the fact that there were zero details when they pledged their allegiance to the New Green Deal. I mean, how do you like that? Is anything more insane than that? These people pledge to support a plan before they see it. It's like when Nancy Pelosi said you had to pass the Obamacare bill to see what was in the Obamacare bill. Same thing. I mean, when you, when you pledge the support before actually seeing any legislation, it makes it very clear that this is simply a religion. This is simply a political religion and an ideological religion to green warmism rather than anything based in actual science or economics. But as I said, there is one little factoid, and that is simply that $4.6 trillion will be what it costs to go into the upgrade and in infrastructure. Now, that, of course, is an assessment by her own people. And frankly, I don't see there's any way in hell that this thing could cost only $4.6 trillion. And I'm not an economist, nor do I know the cost to retrograde and upgrade you know, infrastructures. I know that in California, it's a booming business and it costs a hell of a lot of money to go back and you know even retrofit your apartment building with shock absorbers for earthquake and all that stuff, which you're mandated to do now. So- Knowing the amount of money that it costs, even just to do that simple thing in California alone would cost trillions of dollars. So there's no chance $4.6 trillion is going to cost implementing all of these new energy efficient systems into every household, business, and office place and work. It's just not going to happen. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. 
Those epic words from Archilochus can sum up your ability to succeed or fail in business. I want to recommend Conversation Mat Time to our listeners as a way to hone your one-on-one conversation skills in a role-playing session that can help take you to the next level. During 25-minute sessions, you'll work through the best way to approach that raise, that interview, or that relationship with a practice professional that will provide the confidence and experience you need to get paid what you're worth or take that interpersonal risk you've never been able to conquer. Just like in jiu-jitsu, the difference between a novice and a black belt is mat time. Train to win. Visit conversationmattime.com and take advantage of a free 15-minute consultation just for listeners of this show. Okay, so let's get into the bar talk portion of this now that I've kind of ran through just the overarching tenets of this bill. And one thing that is going to crop up continuously through this is the relationship that this bill has. Actually, this is probably the number one thing to point out, although I've kept it a little bit lower down because when you're talking to people, you don't want to hit them right off the bat with, hey, your plan's going to slaughter some 50 million people if we're comparing it to historic precedent which is to compare it to Mao's Great Leap Forward, which was his plan to modernize China by basically forcing the population to give up their private property in order to facilitate the adoption of the steel industry and the grain industry, which is what Mao thought was going to be the future. But I'm getting getting ahead of myself. So let's uh, let's talk some bar talk. So here's the basic points. Number one, (laughs) the use of force. Because there's no way, you know, the Democrats like to talk about this thing as though, you know, it's all going to be happy and fine. And it just, it's going to be something where people can just easily do it. The government will provide all of the money, all of the funding, and people can just kind of sit back and relax and, and just enjoy this new green future we're painting. You know, it's all happy talk and it's all going to be fine. And, you know, just look at Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's pretty teeth <laughs> and lose yourself in the vision of that snowfield. But there's no way you can do it without an incredible use of force. Not only use of force, and you know, and, and use of force can be extended past just simply the land confiscation, which will be necessary, or the forcible adoption of these these policies. You know, because we're talking about adopting a new green deal. You're talking about forcing people to at some point forgo their vehicles that are based in, on carbon fuels. You're talking about forcing people to upgrade and uh, and eliminate portions of their homes that are not up to code. You're talking about people that, I mean, if you're talking about literal use of force here, what's going to happen to somebody? Let's say you live in a house. You don't want somebody to come in and, and completely tear out your walls and tear out your heating and tear out everything else to try to retrograde or retrofit this to make it more compatible with green technology. So what's going to happen? Well, just like a lot of the government, you know, just like if there was a ban on firearms, the government is going to forcibly come into your house. They are going to either forcibly evict you from your home until the repairs are done. And they don't, by the way, they don't build that into the new green deal either. Where are these people going to stay while this is going on? You know, where is somebody going to, going to nest if they don't have any family, if they don't have any friends, if it's like an elderly person who's more likely to have a home that doesn't have any sort of updated technology. Well, that home's going to take a long time to retrofit. So is there a plan to put these people up in hotels? Are they going to go to trailers? Government trailers are going to roll out here? Are we going to have tent cities under freeway on-ramps? I mean, nobody's thinking about that. But either way, the government's going to have to use force to get those people out, force to, to create this vision that they want to see. And I talk about you know land confiscation 
There's no way you can build all this infrastructure and put all these things in place if you don't go out of your way to confiscate land, to confiscate property, and to obliterate wealth. Because we're not only talking about a new deal that is emphasizing new technology. We're talking about a new green deal that is talking about obliterating the ability to create wealth based upon older technologies, such as fossil fuels, such as fracking, such as nuclear, such as coal. And there is an insane amount of wealth in this country, not only on a corporate level, because when you talk about oil, when you talk about big oil, all everybody goes to is, especially the, the leftists, they say, well, like, you know, who cares about the, or the profits of an oil company? They're just greedy billionaires anyway. Screw them. Well, what about all of the employees of those oil companies? What about the hundreds of thousands of people that they employ? Well, those people are union workers, aren't they, Democrats? You should want to protect their, their interests because those people all have stocks tied up in that company. Not only those people, but also many, many people that are individual citizens in the private sector have money tied up. I myself have stocks tied up in the oil industry. Not only that, but the government makes money off of the oil industry. A lot of money. I mean, why do you think the government keeps continually giving them? They give them subsidies, but they're still raking in taxes. They're still raking in different benefits from local or state uh, taxation, local or state, you know, even like kind of like localized tariff plans. So by saying that we're going to get rid of these technologies, the amount of wealth, the amount of capital that's going to be wiped out, the private capital of people has not been even in. I don't even think there's any thought been given to it until this point. Add into that the fact that you need to essentially tear down a lot of old buildings and you have a circumstance that is very similar to what I mentioned earlier, Mao's vision for China, wherein what they ended up doing in a lot of these circumstances in these Chinese cities was they would tear down all the old buildings in order to create what they would call you know backyard furnaces or they'd tear down it to, you know, these buildings to create new land tracks for the grain growth. Well, you're going to have the similar thing happening where a lot of these buildings that they're trying to retrofit are going to be so untenable in regards to the amount of work they're going to have to do that they're just going to say, okay, we'll demolish them. And so what happens when they decide they need to demolish something? You know, an entire apartment building, let's say this apartment building still has asbestos in it. They're not going to go through and tear out all the asbestos and then put in all new piping and all new lighting and all new uh, plumbing and all new solar paneling and all new electric wires, they're just going to tear it down. So you are forcibly going to be evicting people from their homes where people may or may not have property ownership there. I mean, this is essentially what's going to happen is you're going to see, and, and you know, it's funny, this is probably the one tenet of this program that Donald Trump, Donald Trump and the Democrats could agree on, which is, you know, the forcible seizure of land. I mean, there's an argument right now whether or not Trump can use eminent domain to take the, the land he needs for the wall. But with the new Green Deal, we're talking about eminent domain to a level we have never even thought about before. Okay, so that's one issue, right? We've got the issue of force. Number two is the issue of cost. You know, we go into the cost of this and we're not, we're not even taking into account the fact that just implementing this deal would completely tear down the entire U.S. economy. And the happy talk about, well, we'll be replacing jobs because people, as they go out of these old jobs, will get these new jobs. And you're going to have a guaranteed job 
it, with this new green technology. Okay, well, that's nice happy talk. But at the same time, once you're tearing down these old jobs, once you force them to close, you're going to have to make those new green jobs available probably faster than any other industry has been made available with any sort of jobs or rolled out in, in the history of the, of the world. And just like with Mao's China, what ended up happening the same way was that there's not an adoption of technology fast enough and people don't learn those skills fast enough and you can't export, you can't have global trade fast enough to make that a reality. You know, and AOC and her vision, she says, oh, well, the United States is going to be an exporter of green technology and specialists and blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's nice, but that's 30 years, 40 years, 50 years down the line. You're talking about a 10-year plan here. So if you start destroying all of the infrastructure as far as the way in which we develop power, the way in which people use power, people paying for power by obliterating fossil fuel industries, by obliterating nuclear, you're going to see a rise in costs even worse than what Germany had. Germany, which is you know 120th the size of the United States, Germany, which has trading partners for energy all around it, yet they still had a quadrupling of costs for energy. And Germany still has nuclear. Germany still has other options as far as what they're using. They're not talking about completely obliterating every single possible avenue of cheap, available power on an infrastructure system that we already have developed. Now, another component of this bill is that they want to get rid of the mass farming industries because they say that cows put out a lot of methane gas, so that has to be tackled. So they want to basically try to take down the meat industry. So you have a perfect storm of, we want to get rid of the cheap available energy. And we want to make it far more expensive to get products like meat and wheat because, you know, we have to have an entire solar fleet now, not only of, of vehicles, but if you're going to eliminate fossil fuels, you're going to eliminate uh, gasoline, you're going to eliminate all these different things. Well, uh, do they just have solar powered tractors? Do they have solar powered wheat thrushers? Do they have solar powered, you know, every single thing that farmers use. Are those in place? How quickly is that going to gen up? You know, do, how's the R&D going on that? Maybe they have them. Maybe they don't. I don't know. But either way, you still have farmers that have to replace their entire armada of, of farming tools. You still have people that are going to say, okay, well, we have to have less cattle now in the field because we're not allowed to have these emissions. All right. Well, now beef's gone up, you know, astronomically. So you're basically setting up this perfect storm of making things far more expensive while also seeing a hyperinflationary system that's going to be very similar to Venezuela or, again, Mao's China. In Venezuela, what happened when they started nationalizing all the things? Okay, well, you start nationalizing, you start privatizing everything, or I'm sorry, you outlaw private uh, property. So people now have lost a lot of their net wealth. They, all they have is this, this cash they're making in hand. However, because you're spending all this money, and you're printing money out of thin air because you've nationalized the industries and thus you can't tax those. You're now running them and you're running them into the ground. Well, you start printing money. So that leads to hyperinflation to cover the cost of this as you promise people more and more, yet the country can't deliver. The country's uh, GDP is dropping. Your trade is dropping. So what AOC wants to do is she wants to follow the same principle. She said, when questioned about how we would pay for this, she says, well, the U.S. bailed out the banks by you know, printing money, we can just print more money. Now, like I was saying, this is Venezuela style because to print the amount of money, and, and let's be, 
uh, let's be conservative in the estimate of what it would cost. You know, I was already saying they said $4.6 trillion was their own internal estimate as far as what it would cost to actually retrofit or in play, you know, put into place all these green energy saving things for the infrastructure and the housing. So that's $4.6 trillion. On top of that, what's all the rest of the money that they're trying to invest in new technologies? So what's the, what's the cost of, like I was saying, housing people? What's the cost of, of any number of these different programs? What's the cost of assuring every single person has a job? That's, I don't even know. Conservatively, I can't see it being less than $20 trillion. And to get $20 trillion, you essentially have to double the national debt of the United States. Thus, if you double the debt of the United States by printing money out of thin air, and you're actually, but you're not just putting that money into, into straight debt, you're putting that money out into circulation because you're spending it. You're not just giving it to the banks to sit on, like what happened before, which, you know, people complain about that, but in truth, it's probably a good thing because it didn't cause hyperinflation because at least if the money is not out there into the money supply, diluting it, at least it's doing a little bit better job. But in the context of this, you're talking about spending this money as fast as you can and as quickly as it can possibly be implemented and, and put into people's hands to actually get this technology going and get these jobs created. So you're effectively going to dilute the nation's reserve of cash and, and dilute the amount that everyone's money is worth immediately over a 10-year period. And I, you know, and I can't even see 20 million really being enough. So you're going to have this hyperinflation take place. So you're going to have people in this perfect storm of meat costs more, I don't have anywhere to live at the moment. My energy costs have, have quadrupled. I don't have a job because my job has been eliminated in this sector that that based in some way, shape, or form upon fossil fuels or needed uh, you know, the high emission resources in which to operate. Because I mean, shit, even steel mills. We're still looking at use, you know, utilizing fossil fuels to power the steel industry, to smelt the iron, to do all these other things. How in the world? Is this not going to completely collapse the entire economic system, the entire monetary system, and destroy the international trade that's going on with America? Because the value of the dollar now is going to drop so steeply that maybe we'll have some trade that's able to go out. People will be able to buy our products cheaper, but we won't be able to make the products because everything is still revolved around fossil fuels, transportation, the machines themselves that make the textiles or make whatever the hell is, is being pushed out and traded on the international market. All of these things are now ground to a halt or it evens out or vastly outpaces the benefit you would get from a vastly inflated currency. So at the same time, we're trying to, and again, I'm just trying, I'm looking at the bright side here. Anyway, long story short, we're talking about a full economic collapse and we're talking about people dropping the dollar as an international currency for trade. And right now that's the thing that props the dollar up. That's what gives America a lot of its power is that Everyone uses the dollar to trade. But if we all of a sudden start hyperinflating the value of the dollar, people are going to look elsewhere. They might not look to the Chinese yuan, you know, they, they might look for, for some of the more stable currency because China on its own also can manipulate its currency, but they're going to find some other stable currency to use that's not U.S. tender. And once that happens, again, just like in Venezuela, you are going to have a complete whirlpool, which the value keeps going down. Our economic situation keeps getting worse and it's not going to be resolved <laughs> in the, in the pretty little 10 year package that they're presenting us. And now finally to wrap it up, as I, uh, my teas get a little cold here, my voice is getting even more scratchy. Um, uh, you know, I didn't want to lead off 
with comparing it directly with mouths. I sprinkled it in, but this is literally a mirror plan of what Mao did in China, which ended in famine and the deaths of some, the estimates are between 30 and 55 million people. And, you know, we're seeing this play out, the similar thing in Venezuela, where Mao viewed this as, it's called the Great Leap Forward, was his plan. And the vision of it was, as I said earlier, to modernize China, to bring it up to speed, because this was the future. And the past, where there's people were able to subsist and have local farms and local emphasis, that had to be thrown aside for the greater good and the greater vision of this country. Sound familiar? Because it certainly should. So Mao started off saying, well, these old industries have to go. Peasants, your local farms have to go, be, be torn down. Your local emphasis on uh, pig farming or whatever you might be working on, that is no longer a part of your job. What we're going to do is create these communes. We're going to take these, create these giant working groups and have you work as a big unit on projects that I assign. And primarily those projects are steel and grain. And what they ended up doing is confiscating all private property making that all the property of the government, ended up forcing people to adopt a new style of technology or working which they were not accustomed to. Specifically with Mao, what he did was, as I was you know, referencing before, the uh, these backyard furnaces, they called them. They would have them create these furnaces and then say, okay, well, have at it. Smelt some stuff. You know, here's We're going to give you a kind of a crash course in it. But these people have never done it before. They don't know in a short period of time how to, smelt iron and, and create steel and do all these other jobs. And not only that, but they tore their houses down to create these, these backyard steel mills or to create these fields of grain. So what you had was government coming in, telling people how to do this job badly, and then moving on. And of course, you have a short-term increase in output. And you know, China's economy saw a big gain, mostly because you know they, they started to put output steel. Fantastic. And this gain wasn't because, and it was something, by the way, something like 35% gain. But it wasn't because they were putting out this amazing steel. You know, it wasn't like they were changing the world. It was because they'd been putting out such little amount of product before that was tradable in the marketplace that now a concentrated effort, okay, they saw a little boost. But that was very short-lived. Because what ended up happening was that those places started to fall into disrepair because they were nationalized. You had people now starving because the grain that was supposed to be dispersed by the government, which was the big emphasis now because they told these people, you can no longer grow food for your family. You now grow food for all of us. Well, that grain was started to be stockpiled by government, wasn't dispersed properly. So you had grain just rotting away in warehouses and people starving to death. So once you get people starving, they're not going to be able to make some steel anymore. You're not going to be able to trade that grain because it's just sitting rotting in warehouses. You're going to have uh, people that are just getting killed off because of accidents that are happening, etc. So... In the end, 55 million people ended up dying under this, this rule. The economy collapsed on itself. Uh, the infrastructure, which was promised to be able to, to deliver all these, all these steel products all over that was supposed to be able to deliver the grain, was never put into place. And so there was never the, the, the promise fulfilled of easy access to any sort of resources. Again, this is all very similar sounding, right, Co compared to what AOC and the rest of these Democrats are, are proposing that we do. And just like in Venezuela, where it was tried as well, where Maduro, as you heard on our last episode with uh, with Gigi, you know, Maduro privatized everything. I'm sorry, not privatized. <laughs> Outlawed private lands, started taking over all the means of production, started taking over all the means of uh, dispersing the products, the infrastructures, took over all the 
the water supplies, took over the power supplies, took over the oil industries. And we saw the same thing. Overpromised, couldn't deliver on anything that he promised that he would come through on. Infrastructure collapses, the economy collapses, uh, monetary system completely explodes, hyperinflation is rampant, and now you have no power to trade for goods and services anymore. We are seeing a perfect storm just like with these other economies. And, you know, I swear this is, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything in my life that is a bigger threat to America than this new Green Deal for the reasons I've laid out. And once you do see these kind of things happening, that's where you're going to see a massive spike in violence. You're going to see um, you know, people looting. You're going to see uh, towns going completely bankrupt. And there's people kind of roving around in bands and moving all over like a new Dust Bowl. I mean, it is literally the thing that could take this country down. I mean, this thing is the Death Star, right? This, it's the new green Death Star. And it's, it's the Death Star either way you look at it. Either way, because you got, on one hand, You've got this giant creation, which clearly its one sole result will be the obliteration of life as we know it. We are Alderaan. The United States is Alderaan. For those of you who are Star Wars fans, the Death Star will obliterate us into tiny pieces. We'll be lucky if our people can find homes elsewhere after this catastrophe. And on the other hand, if you look at it as, okay, well, it's a massive infrastructure project, a massive new technology project that's going to suck up all of our resources and then blow up in our collective fucking faces. <laughs> it's, it's the new green Death Star, people. When you don't have the free market at play, when you don't have the ability to earn a living, and you're having the government dictate what property you can and can't own, dictate what you can or can't drive, what you can or can't buy, and essentially guaranteeing that you are not going to be able to afford the lifestyle which you're used to, as anyway, not if you're a common man, well, you're going to have a civil war start cropping up. And the last thing they want to make about this point too is that they put this deal into place and it's always the way this is, especially with these elites, is that they have this grand vision and they say, okay, this is what has to be for the future and this is what we're going to do. Meanwhile, once they put that into play, they're not going to be affected by it. Let's say this horrible, horrible thing actually does manage to get through. The new Green Deal comes about like Hulk... You know, like the, the giant green Hulk stomping along the ground, destroying everything in its path. Let's say that happens. The elites are not going to be the ones that are impacted by it. They're not the ones that are going to really feel the pain of their electricity bills that are, or, or feel the pain of not being able to have fossil fuels for their cars or feel the pain of not having that job working for the oil company anymore. The elites are going to be sitting there in their ivory tower they're going to say, oh, just trust us. It's all going to work out. You know, it's got a 10-year plan. We just need to spend more money. We need to put more into it. And by the time this thing turns into the absolute catastrophe that it is assured to become, well, by that point, I'm sure they all will have either moved away or built the walls of their castles extra high or figured something else to do with their lives, wherein they're still going to be untouched by the catastrophe that has unfolded around them. And in the meantime, the rest of America is completely in disrepair. And it'll take something between probably 20 and 30 years to get that back on track, unless we have a full free society, in which case things could actually probably happen a lot faster. Just like in Somalia, we saw with no government in play there, people's, people's uh, earnings went up, literacy rates went up. And the only thing that in, in Somalia, I will say this, because uh, potable water was the only thing 
that actually went down a little bit. And even that, negligible. Everything else improved under a complete anarcho-capitalist system, I suppose is the best way you could describe it. All right, that's going to wrap it up for Bar Talk, guys. Cliff, explanation, please. Now, how do you know he has one? Five bucks says he does, ten says it's a doozy. Maybe it's severe talking, Marge, but you got a butt that won't quit. They got these big chewy pretzels here that are all you guys with your beers. You know, Five dollars? Get out of here. All right, now it's also going to wrap up this show. My, uh, my throat is really stabbing, stabbing pain right now. So, guys, from me, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty, from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged into Liberty.